All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Thank you, for everyone, for coming this morning. Um, as you can probably tell, I am not Paul Munson, um, but I'm filling in for Paul just this Lord's Day uh, to talk about the persecution of Jeremiah particularly. Um, we can almost say that, just as a beginning statement, that this is almost a bio- biographical look at Jeremiah that we're going to go through today. And we're going to look at, hopefully, three to four examples of persecution that Jeremiah endured uh, from some different people in Judah. And so, before we get started, though, let's, let's bow our heads and pray as we prepare for uh, morning worship after this as well. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day, this day that you have made Lord, you have uh, given us life this day. You have sustained us through the night. For it is in you that we live and breathe and move and have our being. Lord, help us to uh, hear your word this morning. Help me to steward it well, to listen to your people, and for all of us, Lord, to benefit from it. Lord, persecution is a difficult topic. It is something that's in one way or another, we have experienced in the Christian life, or one that we will experience. Lord, we trust you, for you are our sovereign God, our covenantal God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. As we will see this morning, the God of Jeremiah, we just thank you that you are our God as well. Lord, we lift up your name and exalt it. Pray that uh, we may hear your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so to, to start things off, uh, we're going to go back in time a little bit, back about 10 years since the pottery parables. And the first pottery parable of the broken flask that you heard last week, we're going to go back to his first persecution uh, back in 621 BC. And this was a pretty important year. It was when the lost book of the law was found in the temple in Josiah's 18th year of rule. The king had read it to a great gathering in the temple court in 2 Kings 22.8. And his people, we, we prayed, would have a renewed covenant with their God as a result of it. Uh, but today we're going to read uh, a response from Jeremiah to, to the re, um, discovery of the law. And we're going to kick it off in Jeremiah 11. So if you want to open up your Bibles... And turn to Jeremiah 11. Paul had me focus on 18 to 23 in his suffering, but we're going to actually read the whole chapter, chapter 11, because I think it provides important context. Jeremiah 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I command your fathers, that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Again, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, 
I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen. When they call to me in the time of their trouble, what right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exalt? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. And now we enter into persecution. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb, led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. Very sobering chapter, as we have also come from the broken flask as well. But, What I want to do today is to focus on some main points, and that is, so we talked a little bit about in the beginning, when when Jeremiah suffered, who persecuted him, what is the persecution that is wrought upon him, why was he persecuted, and then we want to look at Jeremiah's response to the persecution. So based upon verses 18 to 23, and You can just shout it out. I won't bring the mic for this. Um, Who persecuted Jeremiah? Okay. People of Jerusalem. Sure. The men of Anathoth. Being more specific. And does anybody know where the men of Anathoth, or the connection rather, what is the connection of the men of Anathoth to Jeremiah? Yes. And taking it a step further, turn back with me to chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Verse 1. Right back to the beginning. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. It's Jeremiah's hometown. It's where he's from. We're going to even further look, if you look down at verse 6 in chapter 12, I can't read any further, for that is Paul Munson's uh, next steps. But in verse 6, it gives us another indication of who is persecuting Jeremiah. For even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. So this persecution seems to be from his hometown, not only from his hometown, but from his own family. A man called by God, a prophet, to proclaim the word of judgment that is coming on Judah is being persecuted even by his own family. And so we take the next step to see what is this persecution that's wrought upon him. 
And I think in verse 19 it gives us a little bit um, of clarity on what this persecution is. It says, I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. They're devising schemes to destroy or murder Jeremiah. But if you can take a closer look, what further do they want to do to him? Again, just shout it out. Kill him. I heard. Can you do more than that? It's a sick question to ask. I apologize. (laughs) But I think they're trying to do a little bit more. That's right. That his name be remembered no more. So we see his, in his own hometown, we see his family, we see the adversity that he is coming up against. And not only does he want to, not only do they want to murder him, they want to erase his name from memory. And so, we then ask, why? Why? This is a prophet of God who has come to the people to warn them of the coming judgment, the coming Babylonian empire. Why do they want to persecute him? Yes. Do you think there is another, even New Testament, um, application of a prophet who is rejected in his hometown? Turn over. Go ahead, sorry. I was using your point there, which is excellent, to go to Luke 4. (laughs) Yes. Yes, let's turn over to Luke 4 and read that passage. Be a lot of page flipping today. Um, so, verses uh, 16. I'll read it. And he came to Nazareth, where, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote, me to this, quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And it goes on and he speaks further. And the result is they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, br- to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Just an example of Jeremiah, who is a prophet of God, but he is not the prophet. Christ executed the office of a 
king, a priest, and a prophet. So let's go back again to where we were in Jeremiah. And I want to focus a little bit on why, as I asked before, why was he persecuted? And if we look in verse 21, I think it indicates to us the reason. It says, Thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. The reason is that he was prophesying in the name of the Lord to the people of God. They want to murder him and they want to erase his name from all of history. But it's ironic, in a sense, because he is prophesying in a name that's eternal. The name of the living God. Let me read to you uh, something that Matthew Henry wrote on this. The provocation he gave them was his prophesying in the name of the Lord and not prophesying such smooth things as they always bespoke. We don't talk like that anymore. It is as bad as, is, is as bad to God's faithful ministers to have their mouth stopped as to have their breath stopped. It used to be said that a prophet could not perish but at Jerusalem. For there the great council sat. But so bitter were the men of Anathoth against Jeremiah that they would undertake to be the death of him themselves. Further down he writes, They sought Jeremiah's life. They would destroy him root and branch that his name might be no more remembered. And therefore there shall be no remnant of them left. fear of taking up too much time on this first persecution example, I did just want to give you some um, interesting, I think, context to this persecution. Um, And I think, so Derek Kidner talks about this and the potential, um, it's a potential understanding of why there was such hostility to Jeremiah at this time. So again, the book of the law has just been found um, by King Josiah is in his 18th year of rule. And so Derek Kigner writes, The clue to the violent reaction of Jeremiah's neighbors and family may lie in the fact that Anathoth was a priestly village. As such, it was hit by the Reformation, wrought by Josiah, which closed down all local sanctuaries, as the law demanded. Picture the outcry that would greet this action against one's local church. And, it was transfer- and, and when those uh, local sanctuaries were shut down, uh, Josiah transferred the priests to lesser duties in Jerusalem. And if you want to read about that this afternoon, it's 2 Kings 23, 8-9. So, let's focus a little bit more on his response for a couple of minutes here. Yes?
Thank you. And, and I think um, when we turn to the other, uh, talking about the people of An- the men of Anathoth and the, the rage that they felt towards him and that response and the good news of the gospel, if we look and we see Jeremiah's response, we don't see a man who is ready to pick up a sword and go strike down these men who are persecuting him. But who does he trust in? So in verse 20, But O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. It may not seem loving when we say, let me see your vengeance upon them. But when we think about what he is pointing this persecution, this persecution coming upon him by his own family, the heartache that, that would be felt. Maybe even some of us have experienced that in our own lives, in our own families, with our own friends, friends who won't pick up a phone call from you anymore for a reason, or family that won't see you, and, and how that hurts. And I think in, in our sin, we want to respond in anger. But I think we need to commit our cause to God. And in this case, he's committing his cause to God. He's understanding his role as prophet in that it is not vengeance that Jeremiah himself is going to bring upon his hometown. And, and he is only going to enjo- join in even more about the warning and the heartache that he is feeling, the warning that is coming. And so uh, with that, let's, uh, let's move on. I believe I have stayed in this spot a little too long. So let's go to uh, chapter 20 of Jeremiah. Can I please have somebody just read 1 through 6 for me, chapter 20? Any hands? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Just 1 through 6? Yes, just 1 through 6. <clears throat> now, Pasher, the son of Immer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Megor Misabed. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, And they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce, and all its precious things, all the treasuries of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die, and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. All right. I told you this was going to be a difficult day. Um, so, we read another point of persecution for Jeremiah. And now, we are early in Jehoiakim's reign. And we are looking just after the pottery parable that we read last week in chapter 19 of the broken flask. And the one who is persecuting Jeremiah is Pashur the priest. He's chief officer in the house of the Lord. And let me ask, um, well, first I'll say this. His persecution is evident. It's, it's physical here. It's a physical persecution. He's put in the stocks. Um, these stocks, I was talking to Paul Munson about this earlier this week, are not your typical medieval stocks. I won't get too graphic, but your typical medieval stocks right, are the two giant boards, and you kind of hang through it like this with your head through it. Um, There is actually a twisting component to these socks. So there is more uh, desire of torture 
for the prisoner than just uh, keeping him in place for a prolonged period of time. So it's, a, it's an intense persecution. And again, we ask, why? Why this persecution on Jeremiah? From a priest who's the chief officer in the house of the Lord, outside the, outside the temple of God, Yes, Bill. Well, I guess putting the pieces together with what you said about the signs of Reformation, you know, they were sacrificing in all sorts of places that God had commanded instead of following the, the, what He had said to do in Jerusalem. And so I can understand that they would be upset about the reforms that Josiah had made. And also, coming right after the chapter 19 that we looked at last time, um, they were you know, supporting this sort of syncretism and worship to idols, they wouldn't want to hear all of the negative things that Jeremiah was saying about it, especially since they were probably profiting personally from just the money and the power that that brought in, just facilitating all sorts of idol worship. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that is definitely the extremely large component of this. There are some indications in the text that may point to the fact that it actually came from Jeremiah prophesying specifically about the broken flask, and which would create even more, to your point, you're talking about the idols. And coming off of chapter 19 last week, we see the seriousness of the sin of the people of Judah. And it says here in verse 1, Now Pashur, the priest's son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah and so on and so forth. There's a, there's a sequence here, a continuous sequence um, in the text. And I did want to take a moment, used a word, and I might have missed this earlier in the teaching series from Paul, the word syncretism. I just wanted to ask people if they knew, could maybe say the definition of syncretism, what it is. Yes, Andrew. Like merging of two things Yes, yeah. Yep, the process, formal definition, the process by which aspects of one religion are assimilated into or blended with another religion. This leads to fundamental changes in both religions. Why is this a serious sin? Well, why do you think Jeremiah responded, responds with an oracle of judgment on Pashur specifically and to his generations? which is also a very serious thing in the Old Testament that we see, to not just judge the man, but judge his future generations, what God has promised to his people. What, why, is that such a, why is syncretism such a serious sin? Yes, Julia. goes against his very character, yes. And we see how this has totally spiraled. It has just gone from bad to worse. We saw it in chapter 19 last week and the sacrificing of children and the seriousness of that. Um, So, the other question, and you kind of answered it in that actually, I was going to ask was just, were Pashur's actions or was his sin strictly against Jeremiah, um, and it's not. It's against God. It's against his character, as you say. Um, and I think it's important to note Pashur's office. He's not just a man off the street who's going into the temple to worship and doing it falsely at this, at this time. He is a priest. He's a chief officer in the house of the Lord, and so I, I ask you, are there any other examples in Scripture where maybe this, this type of office is handled differently as far as the pronouncement of judgment verbally than, um, than we see here? Thinking New Testament, we see some people treated differently. 
as far as how the judgment is pronounced. As, a, as an example, let's go to Matthew 23. Just going to read for us 16 to um, 26. Matthew 23. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straightening out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. As I've been reading Jeremiah this week in my morning devotions, I've been very amazed just by counting the number of times, I don't have an exact number for you today, but the number of times the word heart is used in it. And speaking about the people of God, and the judgment again that is coming. But it's this desire that God wants the heart. He seeks our hearts, not our whitewashed tombs, our outside actions. He wants the heart. He desires it, and those who he loves, he gives new hearts in Jesus Christ. And that should result in fruit. It should result in a change of life. And it's interesting, I I think, in verse 19 of 11, we see... Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. I think Jeremiah is a man who has shown fruit. He's evidence of a new heart, looking forward to the coming of his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we see a difference now in an example of a man of Pashur, who when he hears judgment, he doubles down. He gets harder. He he puts him in the stocks. He, He tortures him. There's a seriousness there. But again, just to close up, this example of persecution, um, it's, it's one that uh, Pashur, um, it's brought to Pashur as to show of the seriousness of the judgment that is coming on Judah. And um, just wanted to say one last thing, and then Mark, I saw your hand up. Um, this is, and I've read this, um, one of the commentaries from, from Paul Munson, from Derek Kidner. This appears to be one of the first times in Jeremiah that we see the word Babylon utilized. So for a long time it's been the men of the north or of the north, the north country, those coming down. But now we specifically identify who it's going he specifically identifies who it's going to be. And think of in some ways the grace within that, the mercy of the years. Syncretism's up on the board, not the timeline. Um if we're around here, pottery parables, I'm sorry, I walked to the middle and I could hardly see it. But way over here, the fall of Jerusalem. Not the greatest at math, but about 23 years before the fall of Jerusalem. It's time. It's time. He's giving them time. Who's specifically going to be coming to you to bring this judgment? I'm sorry, you're going to say something, Mark? Samaria was uh, looked down upon because 
Sure. Yes. John. I was just thinking, you mentioned it, it's a sin against Jeremiah, it's a sin against God. It's also a sin against the people by, by suppressing the truth hmm. and by Romans giving one. them a false sense of security, a false yeah. And you can see as a leader, and we sort of a political leader too, he doesn't want to pan. They've got enemies all around. They're in a series of wars. He doesn't want to panic. He doesn't want somebody making people feel bad. He wants everybody being positive and all of them together. Yeah. False. Hope. Security. Yeah. Security. Yes. And for anyone with a incoming army, it's a dangerous thing to give to your people. It's a, it's a false sense of security. Uh, any other questions, any other thoughts? Before we get to, we're going to turn to uh, chapter 38 and spend some time there on uh, King Zedekiah. So we're going to move ahead. So Jeremiah 38. Could I have somebody please read verses 4 through 13? Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Melchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. When Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord the king, These men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, Take thirty men with you from here, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse, and took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and clothes between your armpits and the ropes. Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Thank you. Thanks. So in some ways, this timeline is the beginning of the end in the fall of Jerusalem. with King Zedekiah in rule from this time period forward. We see um, in this time frame, um, actually an example of some potential hope when the first siege occurs of Jerusalem. Um, so the, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians in chapter 37, in uh, verse 5. So when the Babylonians are uh, sieging the city of Jerusalem, uh, interestingly enough, the army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. So there's maybe some evidence here to some of the people who are um, in the city that they're pulling out. They're, take, they're going away from the city, from sieging it. Um, and we get the context, um, as Will read for us in, in chapter 38, of what is happening to Jeremiah now 
as he is uh, proclaiming what is coming. Thus says the Lord, he who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. Um, I don't know how many war college guys I have in here today, but I do have a question. I think in times of war in, in the ancient world, uh, was it more normal to stay in the city or to leave the city? Which one? Stay in, right? You got the walls there. Um, I'm going to stop there because I have no further understanding. <laughs> I just wanted to get some street cred by saying <laughs> those who, are, who go to the war college here. Um, and so Jeremiah is saying to them, go out to the Chaldeans, you shall live. Go to them. They're pulling away. Go, you know, and what do you think the people, how do you think they respond? No. And the leaders, they double down. Jeremiah's not coming to them as a man off the street and saying, ah, you know what, you should probably just leave the city and go out to the Babylonians and surrender. He's coming, again, with his refrain, as he's always said, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. He's pointing them to God. This is coming. Listen. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is saying, listen. This is how you shall live. It's not all judgment. It's how you shall live. This may be one of the more serious persecutions we've read today. They say in verse 4, let this man be put to death. It's no longer just seeking to murder his life. We're going to do it. Let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers, soldiers who are left in the city. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I don't think they are following that. And the hands of all the people, by speaking such words to them, for this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. You shall live. They're saying no. Jeremiah speaks in the name of the Lord. He is a prophet of the Lord, but he does not have what is best for you. So King Zedekiah, this is your time, Zedekiah. Stand up. Show some strength. Behold, he is in your hands. I'm going to wash my hands of this. For the king can do nothing against you. Israel, Judah, Judah about to fall, have fallen so far. This is in your hands. The hands of men who want to kill a prophet of God. It's not in God's hands. He's not sovereign. So what do they do? They take Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. So um, the definition of a cistern is, I didn't look this up too deeply, but it's a deep pit. It's a deep pit. And the Reformation Study Bible says that it's likely a deep pit with only a small opening in the top. Whether it's empty from water shortage or disuse is not clear. They may be hoping that Jeremiah will die there. I like how they say they, the reference study Bible says they may be hoping. I think it's pretty, pretty evident they are hoping that he is going to die there. I don't know if any of you have felt on a hot summer day, um, I used to work at a camp out in Halsopple, PA. You play tug of war, you pull a rope, on a hot summer day, and the rope burn that you feel in your hands as you pull and pull, well, they're sending him down a deep pit by ropes, and he's sinking into mud, and he is there. I, um, when the Lord converted me, one of the verses um, that, called to, that really spoke to me was from Jonah's prayer when he's down in the deeps of the earth. Oh Lord, my God, you have called me. You have brought me up. You have brought my life up from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. I have to think, I have no evidence of this, but if you turn back to Jeremiah 1 with me just for a second. In this darkness, in this lonesomeness, I have to think these words came back to him. Maybe not 
that's for Paul to handle next week, maybe not. Um, Verse eight. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And then jump over to verses 18 to 19. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. I have to think those came back to him. Those thoughts, the, the, word of the, the word that God gave to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, as it says in verse 13, thinking back in this pit. But there's, there's an interesting turn in this example, in this suffering, um, this persecution that he's going through. And it begins in verse 7. It's much different than the other ones we read this morning. Can anybody just explain to me what happens? Who comes? Verse 7. A couple words over. He's an Ethiopian, but what else? He's a eunuch. Deuteronomy 23.1 mean anything to anybody? Flip over there with me for just for a second. Now I'll go to you, Philip. Sorry for the clarity of this, but it is the word of God. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Aaron, why'd you read that verse to us? The same God who created the Mosaic Law sends an Ethiopian eunuch to save Jeremiah from the pit. <laughs> the pit of despair. All hope is lost. It's not Moses coming. It's not another human who is there to, you know, living at that time, coming to pull him out. It's not an angel. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. God uses a foreigner, not one of Abraham's descendants, according to the flesh. Go ahead, Philip. Yeah. And then I, I hadn't thought about this until you um, just were talking about the intention of the princes who threw him down there, but I wonder if, you know, when they, the king gives them permission to kill him, you wonder why they don't just kill him outright. And I wonder if they might have actually just told he would just die a slow death, kind of torturous death of drowning in mud. Yes. Because they hated him so much. Yes. Yes. And his name would be cut off from the land of the living, died in a pit. But this Ethiopian eunuch comes along and he has the wherewithal to put the rags and clothes, right? Sends them down so he can put them between his armpits. So my terrible example of pulling a rope on a hot summer day. So he you know, is, is uh, protected on his way up out of this pit. I got to think of Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. Let's jump, jump over to the New Testament. Twenty six through thirty nine. I'll go ahead and just read it. <clears throat> now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official 
of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Should have been Jeremiah, but it's okay. We trust the word of God. It's clear. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. That's what we got to do every time. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way, rejoicing. Another Ethiopian eunuch. This time, how clear it is, God gives this man a new heart to be one of his people eternally. I was struck a little bit when I read like a sheep he was led to, led to the slaughter, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That is our Lord. He's the, he is the prophet. It's pretty close in some ways to Jeremiah. I think there's a, a prefiguring of Christ in Jeremiah. Because if we go back, we're going to do this. This will be the last kind of step we take here before we read one more passage of scripture. If we go back to the beginning, it's where we started in, in chapter 11. Jeremiah thought of himself quite similarly in some ways. Jeremiah 11, verse 19. After he, after he prophesies about the covenant, about what God had done for his people, Israel, and bringing them out of Egypt. He says, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes. Jeremiah is a book very clearly about judgment. The judgment that God is bringing on his people for their syncretism, for the seriousness of their sin. But in it, there is Grace. I think we can have a very negative view at times of the prophets. How can you continuously hammer away at this? But it's because of the seriousness of the sin and the desire of Jeremiah for his people, for God's people, to turn and seek the Lord, the one true and living God. So we're going to end today with a passage of scripture and then, then we'll sing. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Could not resist. I'm going to read verses 32 to 40. The word of the living God. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains 
and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Jeremiah, they think, died in Egypt, died away from his homeland, away from his people. He was sent to Egypt, chapters 43 to 44. Pray we will see him again someday when we are glorified. His persecution was serious. We may not go through that in this life. I pray we don't. But we know the God in whom we serve. It's the same God. All right, we're going to sing in response. Hymn 103, Holy God, we praise your name. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, prepare us to hear your word this morning. That we may receive it by faith to go forth into the world this week. But may we focus on this day, your day. Lord, may we think back on your law. This is your day. To your glory do we live. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Lord, may we have sweet communion with one another this day. Thank you that you've given us tongues to extol your name, regardless of age. And regardless of ability, Lord, you have uh, opened our eyes to your truth, and we thank you for that. We praise you for what we learned from Jeremiah, from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.